please welcome Michelle Zeitlin, Passion to Power. A book publicist is an essential part of the team. You've finished your great novel, you've submitted it to agents, you now have somebody who wants to represent you, then you get the publishing deal. It's a really good idea to add the next team member to your food chain, and that would be your book publicist. Here, Beth Parker shares her experience, her knowledge, and gives you kernels of gold. So stay tuned for Beth Parker of BethParkerPR.com and learn all about the world of book publicity. Enjoy Passion to Power. So... Um, I've been working in book publishing since, I feel like since the dawn of time, but really um, since around, you know, like I was an intern in like the late nineties. And then I went full time after I graduated from college in 2003. Um, and I started at, you know, the big houses, you know, I was an intern at Houghton Mifflin before it was Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. So like that shows how old I am. Um, I got my first full-time job working at Little Random, which is one of the imprints at Random House, now Penguin Random House. And I was at Random House before it was Penguin Random House. So again, have been around for a couple of years. And, um, and I, so I spent a couple of years at Random House working with, you know, amazing authors like E.L. Doctorow and Azar Nafisi, and I worked on Annie Leibovitz's book, and, um, and it was, you know, it, it was a lovely experience, but like, wasn't, it, and like the authors were amazing, but it, it wasn't quite right for me in terms of like a good fit. And I, I spent about two years there, and then I was like, I need to find something like a little bit more quirky. Hence, you know, like with that, that sort of goes with my personality a little bit more, I guess. And um, and then I moved over to Penguin Books um, to uh, Dutton and Gotham Books. Um, and so I worked on, you know, their commercial fiction and their narrative nonfiction. Um, and you know, I was working with, you know, like Harlan Coben and John Lasquois and um, and amazing books about like, you know, typeface and, you know, and also, and, you know, very quirky, like, you know, memoir and, you know, kind of quirky nonfiction. Um, and I spent about 10 years, uh, a little less than 10 years at Penguin. Um, and part of, and, you know, and, and I, I shifted from working at Dutton to working at Gotham Books and Avery Books, which was, you know, sort of all nonfiction. And so that was, you know, like, you know, some self-help books and wellness books. And again, sort of keeping with like the quirky nonfiction and sometimes like big blockbuster nonfiction. Like I worked on the book Game of Shadows, which was a book about, you know, doping in the baseball industry um, and in sports. And I also worked on um, a book about Lance Armstrong and, you know, doping in, in that community with like, you know, Wall Street Journal writers and, and San Francisco Chronicle writers. So, um, so I had a really nice base for, you know, the types of books that I knew I liked working on and the types of books that I really knew that I didn't want to work on it so much anymore. And, um, and then, you know, in around 2014, I realized that I was ready to go out on my own and started my own business. Long time. <laughs> That's interesting because I actually officially launched into the world of repping writers as a literary manager, so to speak, in 2013, but I took on my partner in 2014, and mm -hmm. I felt like that was sort of a second official 
because she joined me. I was working with Jane Cowan Hamilton, who came from New York, and she had worked um, not only in the editorial side, but also grew up in a very literary household of agents. So it was really interesting because I came at it from a completely different direction as, mm-hmm. as a talent rep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's the significance. So we both survived. Yeah, I mean, I survived, oh my God, I survived like so many rounds of layoffs during like, you know, the 2008 financial crisis and, you know, and just sort of, it just, it, it's always felt very tenuous being in a, in, in-house um, at a publishing company. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, it just sort of, it, I never, I don't know, I, I never was really like a joiner. Like I was never like the person who was like, you know, in all the clubs and doing all the things. And so uh, giving your whole heart and soul to a, to one company when they sort when like you could sort of tell that like you were kind of replaceable, like that was never really something that like jived with me. And so now being my own boss and having my own company that I can like fully be, and you know, I mean, it's me, like I can support me. Like I'm very happy to be like rah rah for me and for my clients and everything. Um, and that has, it's really sort of changed the whole landscape for me. How do people find you now that you're more on the freelance side? Um, I, it's entirely word of mouth. It's, it's other clients, um, recommending me. It's, it's former colleagues recommending me. It's fellow freelancers recommending me. And, and I do the same, you know, like I have this amazing collection of of freelancers and, you know, we talk to each other, you know, we have a Slack channel and we talk all the time and it's really, you know, it's, it's an amazingly supportive group of people that I could not do my job without. So. I'm still kind of miffed by the whole Slack thing. It, you know, it started out as a as a group on Facebook, and then all of us were like, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore, so we moved over to Slack. So it's just, you know, it's we, just we another it. way to sort of group chat. Yeah, exactly. It exactly. sounded so heady and techy when it started, you know. I know, I know. And so really- guy-ish, you know. I would hear about all the guys who worked at tech companies, and they'd be on Slack. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> it's a chat room. It's just, a, it's a chat room with like different little, like, you it know. Sounds so fast. So fast company. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. I mean, you know, we sort of like break it down into like, I mean, and we're, you know, we're all very supportive of each other and we all just sort of try to like, you know, share information and share contacts and everything. And, you know, if there's a, you know, a project that one of us can't take, we'll post it there. And so, and if someone else wants it, we'll recommend it. And, you know, if we're looking for, a, you know, a, a media contact at like New York Magazine or whatever, and we can't figure it out, like we'll ask our, you know, our co- my, I'll ask my colleagues and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll try to help each other when we can. It's nice. Okay, so in your little bio, I came up with about three important questions. First of all, why PR? And is that kind of what you were doing when you were at Little Random and Avery and all of these different imprints? Um, were you focusing on public relations or did you have like multiple different uh, jobs and then you sort of settled on public relations? I was always public relations. Always, always, always. Um, even when I was in college, when I was in college, I was sort of in with the theater crowd. I was, I was friends with like you know the theater nerds, and I never wanted to be on stage. I was like, mm, not so much into that, and I wasn't really great at like moving lights around and stuff. I was like, <laughs> I could make a poster. I was like, I could, you know, I'll call the newspaper and I'll let them know and I'll put some posters up. 
and that was sort of the beginning of um, of my publicity career. And um, and then you know when I was applying for, I mean, I was you know I was an art history major in college. Like I literally thought I was gonna like work at like Sotheby's or Christie's or like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And like I thought, you know, I was like, I'll just play with art all day. It will be so amazing. Like you know, I put you know my my focus was Northern European Renaissance art. Like that was totally my jam when I was in college. I was like, let's talk about symbolism. Um, <laughs> And then when I graduated, I would, you know, I mean, I'd had internships at museums and I'd had internships in book publishing because my sister um, also works in book publishing. And so she was just trying to help me get, you know, jobs during the summer, you know, when I was back at home, I needed something to do, like I couldn't just sit around. So um, hence the internship at Houghton Mifflin, which actually basically directly led to me getting a job at Random House because the woman who I had interned for, and then and she invited me back a couple more years. So I was actually an intern, you know, for multiple years at, at Houghton Mifflin. So sorry to anybody that was trying to get an internship in like 2000, I, I took that from you. You took that like, one, yeah. I'm sorry, that was me. Yeah. Um, but her, my boss at Houghton Mifflin was like best friends with the woman who was hiring at Random House. And so when I went in for that, interview I said that I had worked for, for this woman named Maya and so my boss called Maya and said you know how is how is she and they she said great I guess and I got that job so <laughs> it's one of those things where like for me it was really easy but it's think it's because I knew people like I had I had that in I had that internship and I'd gotten that internship because I knew my sister and I know that it's not that easy for everyone I know that a lot of people really do struggle to to break into publishing so I don't want to say that like my way is the way to do it because my way is an unusual way to do it and my way was way easier than I think most people um most people experience so well, I do believe that a lot of the businesses that we're talking about, publishing, entertainment, um, you know, digital, they're relationship building businesses. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, I'm, I'm considered a dot connector probably more than I'm considered specifically for what I do in terms of talent and literary. I put people together and eventually you hopefully create some zhuzh and you make <laughs> magic, you know? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what being a publicist is too. It's right. Um, it's connecting my authors with the uh, journalists who I think would be interested in their story or interested in the topic and, you know, getting them to talk to each other. And, uh, and sometimes it's connecting two authors together, you know, to do uh, an event, um, you know, be it virtual or in person or, you know, an interview uh, for a website or something like that. So for sure, it's, it's all about like, oh, who would be, who would, who would have fun with this? Like who would really enjoy, you know, being a part of this? Collection. You have to love to chat with people. You have to love to pick up the phone and be fearless, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like these days people don't really want to talk on the phone, but um, so emailing a lot or, you know, DMing, I guess sometimes, although I feel, I still feel weird about pitching over DM. That's not really my thing. <laughs> How about um, Zooming? Is it part of what your daily, daily life is like? Yeah, I mean, a lot of Zoom meetings for sure. And um, periodically, like I'll have meetings with, you know, the book editor at the New York Times or the Washington Post or the NPR producers or, or that sort of thing sort of going over my lists. So yes, Zoom 100% is part of my life now, which it wasn't before the pandemic. You know, I mean, before it was a phone call or a meeting in New York or 
you know, actually like right before the pandemic began in February of 2020, you know, I took, you know, three days and went to Washington, D.C. and just met with the Washington Post and the, and the and NPR and, you know, and C-SPAN and those places and everything. So it was, you know, meeting in person either because I took the trip or, you know, when there was like, you know, Book Expo, when that existed, there were certainly meetings. I was at Book Expo happened. in 2015, yeah. my oh, first and last. They, R. It's R. gone, right? RIP Book Expo. It does oh. not exist anymore. No. <laughs> RIP DMX and the Book yeah. Expo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but you were asking me about um, publicity. And yes, for me, it was always publicity. That was always the thing that I was interested in and gravitated towards and realized, you know, that I was that I was good at it. Um, I know some people, you know, I feel like when people think about book publishing, their first question is always, oh, are you an editor? And no, I was never an editor. I never had any dreams of being an editor. That was, you know, that was never, although I will say that in my job, I do do a fair amount of editing, like when my authors write essays and, and pieces that are, I'm gonna be help them place. Um, I 100% help them edit those um, and get them into, into shape before pitching them. But um, in terms of like editing an entire book, no, I've never done that. Don't know how to do it. Don't think I'd want to do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's, you know, I mean, there's publicity, there's marketing, there's, you know, I mean, mar and marketing, you know, can mean something different for all the different houses that you work at. A lot of it means social media and advertising. Um, you know, for publicity, for me, that means, you know, placing interviews, placing book review coverage, placing essays, um, and pitching like roundups and stuff. So and what's a roundup? Um, like those, those monthly lists that you see of, you know, like the most anticipated books of the month or the most anticipated books of the year or the second half of the year or what, whatever. I mean, there are a variety of them now. So, and those are sort of kind of replacing book reviews in a lot of places. So you can still pull a really nice quote from it, but it's not like a long review, like the way you would get in like the New York Review book. My interest is coming more from the actual skill set of developing that relationship one-on-one. -on -one. As a talent literary manager, I find that I'm sort of part stylist, part therapist, part publicist. Also, also, also part therapist, yes, 100%. <laughs> you know, and, and sort of just a, a cushion sometimes with the blows of not get the, getting the job or preparation for what's next to get the job and then what comes after that. In a book, as, from my standpoint, my, my job starts first where I'm actually deciding, am I going to take on that book? Because I do title rather than author. Mm -hmm. and, and then developing it very much influencing the book. I mean, rarely have I gotten a, I don't think I've ever gotten a book that was polished, ready to go. I pitched it. It goes mm -hmm. through a process of a few months with me developing with the author, cleaning it up, getting clarity. Some of the things need to be reworked. And then there's my job of pitching, mm -hmm. developing relationships with editors and publishers, and then often seeking out a publicist to take it to the next level once the book is set, right? Sure. So I would love to know, like, what are those relationships and, and, and what, how have you affected those relationships and made them a positive experience? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm usually taking on books once they've already been written and oh, my cat is making an appearance. Say. That's right. I, oh, she, oh hello. <laughs> hi, Peanut. Uh, her name is Peanut. Um, hi, I've got Badger at my feet. That's Aww, my dog. Hi, Badger. So she's going to sit here for a little while and then she's probably going to rip this out of my ear. So I apologize in advance. It's, oh, good. Zoom, Zooms are really interesting these days. It's, yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I mean, I'm usually not getting a book project until it's already been sold to a publishing house and has a release date and has been edited. So, you know, I'm really coming along later in the process. Can you give me an example of, uh, and, and tell me what you call it too. Do you call it a press release copy? Do you call it a brief? You know, how do you come at your work and, and who sees what? Um, well, I write pitches and press releases and they're sort of the same thing. Like sometimes press releases have a little bit more information like talking points or, you know, tie-ins or that sort of thing. Um, but basically they're the same thing. It's, you know, an introduction to what the book is and who the author is and, you know, and why it's important. Um, those pitches, you know, get written by me, you know, usually I'm pulling from some sort of marketing copy, um, if that exists, uh, just so that, you know, I'm trying to position it in this, in this, in the same way or a similar way to how the publisher is, cause we don't want to be too far apart from each other. Um, in terms of you know how we're positioning it although positioning for the consumer is different than positioning for the media so you know you just sort of have to remember that um but yeah i mean i'm looking for for media hooks i'm looking for interesting nuggets about either my author's backstory or how they came to write the story that i'm presenting to the to the press um and usually that involves you know in addition to obviously reading the book which you know, some people don't do for some reason. I do not understand that. Um, you have to read the book first and then you can write the press materials um, is, you know, sort of talking to your author about like their background and what they're willing to talk about, what they're interested in talking about. Um, you know, I mean, I had a client earlier this year who was very interested in doing interviews and really, you know, really wanted, wanted features. So I um, asked him probably 15 or 20 questions via email. I was like, Give me your, you know, give me your backstory on the jobs that you've had. Give me the backstory on why you write the books that you write. You know, give me a background on travel that you've done. Give me some interesting stories about, you know, things that have literally nothing to do with your writing life. Like what else is interesting about you, you know, so that we can figure out, you know, what the media might be interested in. And then that also goes into either talking points or the, or the press release. Um, and, you know, and again, like my clients see it. And then, you know, once they're happy with it, I'll show it to their editor and the in-house team um, for, you know, any thoughts that they might have, or if they have information that needs to go in there that's like publisher related, uh, that'll get added. And, you know, obviously like hopefully a quick copy edit so that I haven't made any weird typos. And then it goes out to the press. <laughs> So I know this is kind of a touchy subject. Being a professional, you have to kind of create your rates. There's not like, as I understand it, sort of an expected menu of costs. How do you build for your, do you build for time? Do you build for expertise? Do you build for um, how many placements? How do you, how do you estimate your costs for, for your clients? Um, well, I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing basically the same thing for all my clients. I'm a what they sometimes call a soup to nuts publicist, where I'm pitching everything. I'm pitching the long lead media, I'm pitching short lead media, I'm pitching radio, TV, print, and online, and plus, you know, po possibly events, um, depending on if they're virtual or in person or whatever. Um, and usually they're coming to me about, you know, 
eight to 10 months in advance of the books coming out at this point. And I, um, I charge a flat, a flat fee um, for that, for that time. And, you know, if, if it's six months out or it's 10 months out, that, that fee is basically the same. Um, because I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's around what other freelancers of my caliber are charging. Um, I talk to my fellow freelancers and I'm like, how much are you charging these days? Um, and then, you know, and then, or if, you know, like my maintenance is going up or my insurance is going up, you know, like I raise, I, you know, you raise it a little bit so that, you know, you're covering all those costs and everything. Um, but some, um, but I, I don't base things on the number of hits that I get. I feel like it's disingenuous to try to guarantee a certain number of anything because each book campaign is different and each book campaign kind of has its own rhythm. And I, and I, before, you know, I sign on with anybody, I'm having a conversation with them, you know, about what their, what their expectations are and what I can bring to the table. And, you know, I, I want to talk to them about like why they're interested in hiring me and what they would get out of hiring me and, um, and sort of how I work with the in-house team. Um, and, you know, I mean, and, and not everyone is a good fit. And I encourage people that are talking to me to talk to other publicists as well, because, it can be a super personal, I mean, it's a, a, it can be a lot of money and B, it's a really personal experience, you know, working with someone and, and it's with, and you might have to be talking to this person every day. So, you know, and it's also not just them deciding, like I'm sometimes I'm like, mm, not so interested in working with this person. So, you know, maybe we're not really going to be a great fit. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, the gist of, of my campaigns are basically the same. Um, I'm trying to get as much as I can for each book, but I can't guarantee like anybody. And I feel like any publicist is like, I can 100% get you into the New York times. I'm like, mm, they might be lying to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I know of like maybe two publicists where if they promise that that will actually happen. But like most publicists, I'm like, mm, probably not going to happen for you. Like, if, if, if that is what you want, I am not the right publicist for you. Like if you want that guarantee, like you should not hire me, I can't make that guarantee for you. And you, and, and I don't want you to walk away from this process being disappointed um, or feeling like it wasn't money well spent, so. It's like the Janet Jackson song, right? What have you done for me lately? We're only as good as our last project, our last right. client, you know? Right, right, Bad right. press goes a lot farther than good press. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. And now everyone can twit and Twitter and twat and IG. And <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I, know. I feel like my Instagram is like my, like one, like my, my one social media where I'm like, I don't talk about books very much on Instagram. Like I talk about my other things. Like Twitter is definitely Same. for books and Instagram is for like my own private, like tiny joys. <laughs> so talk about your own tiny joys besides your cat. What are they? <laughs> um oh are you God. growing tomatoes on your porch like so many new yorkers during the oh pandemic God, if i i wish i had a porch um i i live in a very big building there are, so i don't really have a lot of outdoor space um I, I used to have a garden i don't have a garden anymore the garden don't get me the, the garden became very political in my building so i actually stopped working in the garden because it was a little bit too much of a are you in a co-op 
yeah, I'm in a co-op. <laughs> um, but the gardening was fun for a little while. And now I'm just, now I have a very lovely grocery store and, um, and fruit stand that like has very fresh fruits and vegetables. So I'm, I'm more than happy to give them my money so that I don't have to grow my own tomatoes anymore. Although it was very fun for a couple of years to grow my own tomatoes. Um, now my, um, the thing that I'd like to do, uh, when I'm not reading or working, um, is uh, I'm a quilter. You can see one of the quilt, the quilt. You I made right. that? Yeah, I made that. <laughs> wow, my mother loved quilting. Uh, <laughs> she used to I, collect all the little patches. In fact, I have like hat boxes full of individual patches. Oh my God, amazing. He was an auction and garage sale person before that was a thing and would collect the patches and then she would have them made. And she, I have books on quilting. I, so do I. <laughs> Look at you. Now that kind of almost looks like I'm get, I'm talking to an art history person. So let me not like totally make a guffaw here, but it almost has like a New Mexico kind of Albuquerque-ish sensibility so can i i'm gonna tilt my thing up a little bit just so you can okay. see the whole thing it's um oh more native american looking up it's there. actually so it's actually a frank lloyd wright inspired oh mm -hmm. well i'm from madison wisconsin we lived right near a frank lloyd wright house there you go um when i went out to madison a couple of years ago we did like we went to the um we went to taliesin we went to um, the church that he did or the synagogue. I, I think it's, a, was it a synagogue and now it's a church? I don't or, remember. I think it's like a Presbyterian or a Unitarian. I think it's a Unitarian church. I think it's a Unitarian okay. church. And, um, and yeah, and we went on like a walking tour of like this little like neighborhood, you know, pretty close to where the church is that had a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright houses. Um, I'm a little bit of a Frank Lloyd Wright nerd. So uh, this, that, this, this was something I made a couple of years ago. And then when I made it, my dad was like, I want one. So I had to make one for him in blue. <laughs> I tilt it up one more time. Okay. So it's the tree of life. It's called the tree of life windows. Oh. Okay. I think that I think that the tree of life windows are in like I want to say they're in like Buffalo, New York or something. And what's the significance of the colors? Because it's it looks almost like a pinkish red and black it's, and white. It's, it's pinks and purples. And okay. just because I like pinks and purples. I think okay. the original colors were like yellow and stuff, but I wanted to make mine in colors. And what like, what kind I, of I have to look at it? Are they just patches or is there also yarn? It's just, it's all, it's all, um, quilting cotton. It's, it's all wow. just fabric, just fabric. It's beautiful. It's, and how so, long did that take? Um, maybe I, I don't, I, I don't know anymore. Like it, everything just, I, I, I think it took me like a month to make it. I want to okay. say it took a month. I want to say it took a month. That's really cool. Yeah. Right now I'm working on, um, this, so there's this, technique called foundation paper piecing where you basically like sew onto pieces of paper and like that's where the pattern is and then you sew, sew it all together and you make these little blocks and everything and um, I'm making a Muppet quilt right now with like characters, <laughs> characters from the Muppet show because I'm really a child at heart so <laughs> and and I really just wish that we lived in the 70s again and I could just watch the Muppet show on TV although it is on Disney plus now so I guess I should just it is I have a couple of the DVDs I really like the Muppet <laughs> we get yelled at by everyone um <laughs> and it's not usually our fault i mean like we can't control you know breaking news we can't control pandemic so, you know
know, I would say be grateful for the for the media that people are able to get for you. Um, and, you know, and, and understand that it's a collaborative process and that, you know, you, you know, authors are bringing something to the table as well. You know, they're bringing their platform, they're bringing their media connections as well. So just because, you know, just because I'm in charge of pitching everyone doesn't mean that people aren't going to come directly to you, especially if they have access to you in some way, via, like if your email is up on the, on their website or your DMs are open, like people are going to contact you and, you know, it's, it's collaboration and be nice to your publicist. Um, and just that, you know, and the publishing isn't just editing. There are so many other parts of publishing that you could be in. You could be a production editor, you could be a copy editor, you could work in finance and in, in publishing, you know, I mean, there, and obviously you could be a publicist or you can be an editor. Um, but there are so many different parts of the process that the book goes through. You know, you can be an, you can be an art director, you know, you can design book jackets um, for a living. So just, just because you may not be like, you know, you, you may not think that editing is right for you. There are so many other parts of publishing that are available to you. Um, and there are some amazing internship opportunities in publishing houses, both large and small, where you can do lots of different types of, of aspects of book publishing. So don't limit yourself to just being an editor. How has it affected your role as a publicist? Do you still get to the same people? I mean, the challenging part has been I mean, we used to just do kind of blanket book mailings where we would send books to all of these media outlets where we had, you know, we had your office address and we would just send to the office and, you know, I mean, again, hope that you would open the envelope, but, you know, we, we couldn't guarantee it. But now people don't want books at home. Like they, you know, I mean, I live in a tiny apartment. I can't keep books here and I've never been able to keep books here. Um, so fi finding people, you know, and, and basically like everyone's email email inboxes have gotten like flooded because people don't talk on the phone anymore either because they don't want to give out their personal phone numbers because they're not in the office anymore. So everything has gone through email and you have to like email PDFs and net galleys of books, which I guess, you know, in terms of like, you know, the environment, it's probably good that we're not killing so many trees and making ARCs and doing galley mailings and finished book mailings and all those things. But um, it is harder to get the book in front of people sometimes um, because you can't just send it to like their agent's office or you can't just send it to their office and like have, and then just like sort of know that it's inevitably gonna get to them. You have to just, I mean, so it, it's made my life harder in that capacity, but you know, I mean, I've been working from home since 2014. Like I didn't start working from home in 2020. So I already had a little bit of a leg up on people in terms of like, I know how, you know, my setup works and I know how to, you know, do my thing from, from my desk at home. But um, yeah, I think that like kind of getting in, getting people to get back to you, like people have a lot more email fatigue and a lot more Zoom fatigue. Um, so I do think that part has definitely been harder and, you know, and doing events is harder because in some, in some ways events is harder and some ways events are not harder because now, I mean, you used to be limited by the geographical area that your author was going to for events. If you wanted them to be in conversation with someone now, anybody from anywhere can go to an event and participate in an event. So in some ways it's been really great because like I can get, you know, my author to be in conversation with Angie Thomas. Um, whereas, you know, before, like I would have to send her to Angie's town in order to have her do an event with her. So now, you know, they could both do, they could both be at home and they could both do it from there. Um, but- um, Have there know. been any advantages to podcasts on behalf of the author's publicity? 
I mean, I think podcasts are great. I think that podcasts are, you know, podcasts are what radio was a couple of years ago. Um, there's so, and there are so many great podcasts out there that can sell books. And there are some podcasts that I think sell books better than, than NPR can. Um, and usually, and you know, it used to be like such mainstream stuff. Like it used to be like, get the national NPR, get the New York times, get the whatever. And like, and then you're and like, you know, get like a morning show. And like, that was kind of like what you needed to do. And now it's like, well, now you can get on this one podcast and you can sell, you know, 600 bucks for being on the podcast for 10 minutes. Um, and that, you know, and, and you're, and you're really targeting like a very niche audience who really, really is interested in that, in that book, in that subject. So I think podcasts are great. Um, I think it is hard to find the podcast hosts, um, or producers sometimes, but we're working on, I'm, I'm, I'm working on systems for that too. So isn't it cool that I found you though? It's crazy that you found me. <laughs> I'm so happy you found me. <laughs> and literally through a tweet. I can't believe it. I feel like I have no Twitter followers. How did you even, how did that even happen? <laughs> and I think I sent you a copy of the tweet so you'd have it on file. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's kind of remarkable. And, and I honestly, I don't even use Twitter on my, I'm, I'm not even on Twitter that much. I don't release tweets. I, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Trump scared me away from Twitter for the rest of my life, but he's not on there anymore. <laughs> he's not there anymore. It's great. <laughs> he pulled the tweet card. <laughs> No oh. Trump tweets. <laughs> Gone. Oh, and the platform is so much better for it. All <laughs> <Whoa>, wins. <laughs> yes. Oh. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for I, having me. I'm going to be so doing business with you. I know it because <laughs> I mean, listen, like in a, in a short time, we figured out we were all connected, right? Three degrees of separation. I really do believe that as big as the world is, there's a sort of cream that rises and um, I know that sounds really elitist, but it's true. I always end up working with fantastic people um, because I think word of mouth is, is, is the best, best way to get business, you know, because uh, the best people who are working diligently on behalf of their clients want the best people to work on behalf of their clients. <laughs> but what I love is your giggle and your laugh. Um, I'm very excited. I actually looked up um, several of the authors that you had worked with. So I just want to close out by saying that you've worked with the, the writer for Ragtime, E.L. Doctorow. You worked with um, Vanessa Williams. Uh, and I actually personally am excited about that because I have another client who I coach who wrote an award-winning song that she recorded oh my God, for a virtual reality production in Paris. So what social media handles can I share of yours so people can find you? Um, probably the best one is Twitter and I am there at Beth underscore Parker. And if you are interested in my quilting, which if you're interested in quilting or pizza, then you can find me on Instagram. Um, and my Instagram handle, which I can never remember is BL Parker 81, all one word. Fantastic. And if you want to work with Beth Parker, you can reach out to her via her website, which is yes. BethParkerPR.com. Easy to remember. Yes. Okay. Well, this is Passion to Power signing off. And all of you who are interested in either working with a publicist or wanting to know more about the business, how to become a publicist, will have kernels of gold from this interview. Beth, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
So thanks very much for listening to this episode and please share all the episodes with your friends and colleagues. We appreciate your ratings and comments on Apple Podcasts and on social media. If you'd like more information about our programs and our special people and projects, please access www.morezap.com, More Zap Productions for Talent and Literary. And if you'd like to book a special one-on-one coaching or a group clinic or workshop, please access passion-power.com and you can fill out our form there and make a request. Thanks again. Thank you.